Welcome to the Help for Wounded Spirits. This podcast exists to reach those wounded and suffering through life's trials. And now your hosts, Dr. Doug Carriger and Mrs. Stephanie Wesco. with you folks. Again, it's an honor and a privilege. I hope you enjoyed Friday's uh, uh, testimony from uh, Brother Charles Wasco. And and uh, as you know, Brother Charles is Stephanie's moderate husband. He's up in heaven smiling even as we speak. What I did is the testimony was kind of long or the, really it was more of a deputation sermon. It was a little bit long, so I decided to cut it in half so we could enjoy it two days getting going. So I want you to listen to the second half today and just pay particular attention to what's going on. It was a real blessing to me, and I know it'll be a blessing to you. So have a great Monday out there. Get an extra cup of coffee today. Tell somebody you love them. Hey, we appreciate you folks. Make sure you listen to every word of his deputation sermon, and then afterwards listen to what Brother Eric has to tell you. Thank you. And we need to realize that serving Christ always comes with a cost. Maybe there's some parent here who needs to be willing to go to the young person and say, you know what, it's okay with me if you're not a lawyer. It's okay with me if you're not a doctor. I just want you to know, if God really is calling you and you know it, analyze it and think it through, go to your pastor, because it's okay with me if God wants you to do something than what I've raised you to do. We may have some parents like that. We may have some young people who need to go to mom and dad and just be honest and loving and say, you know, maybe I've not looked at this right, but, but I feel like... Uh, uh, you really want me to do this or that, but I'm just not sure that's what God wants. Maybe some young person in, in the proper attitude uh, of respect and honor needs to go to a father and, and say, Dad, help me with this. I'm burdened about this. And just be honest and open with Dad. If you don't sacrifice much for the cause of Christ, you're not storing up treasure in heaven. And many people today are just clever enough to work themselves out of a whole bunch of eternal rewards. And I don't call that clever. I call it foolish. If you don't stand up to it, this world system will come up with a way to keep you too busy to serve Jesus. You know, there's nothing wrong with work, but I know many men who work too much. And that's all it takes for the devil to keep them out of his way. It's some good, wholesome work. But it's not wholesome anymore because it's become in the way between them and God. Don't be so short-sighted that you miss the fact that God is testing you with things to see if you'll trust him enough to sacrifice. Ezekiel talks about riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. Ecclesiastes 5. Riches, sometimes God will give riches to me and to you, and we're only meant to be conduits, and we keep it to our own hurt. We don't lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and where thieves don't break through and steal because where our treasury, our heart is. And they say that if you really want to know, as a father, the heart of the young man coming to court your daughter asks to see his finances, asks to see his checkbook and see where he spends his money. However good or bad he is about his reckoning, learn about how he spends his money because where a man's treasure is, that's where his heart is. And serving Christ comes with a sacrifice, young men, 
And we've got to get that back in our hearts again. Number five, Christ is looking for people to serve in his vineyard. This is over and over. Chapter 20, verse 1. Chapter 20, verse 3. Chapter 20, verse 5. Chapter 20, verse 6. Let's not miss how simple this is. Because many times people say, well, I don't know if God wants me or God can use me. Hey, look, the problem is the harvest is huge. The fields are white everywhere, and there's not enough help. There's not enough help in Cameroon. There's not enough help with Michael Raines there in Kenya. There's not enough help with Nathan Roberts there in South Africa. There is not enough help anywhere you go. And sometimes we forget how simple it is while we stand around waiting on God to strike us with a bowl of lightning. But there's lots and lots of reaping and sowing all over the vineyard ready to happen. And God made you, and he made your mouth, and he had to get that through to Moses one time. And sometimes he has to get it through to me, and he has to get it through to you. And Jesus is looking to hire you. He doesn't care if it's the 11th hour, and you don't play the violin or harmonica or piano or do chalk talks. Okay? He made you who you are, and he has a purpose for you. And we need to remember that this simple, we make it so complicated. Just like Jesus is saying in this parable, he's looking for people to work in his vineyard. Are you ready to work? No matter what the hour is, is it, yes, sir, send me. Where do I enlist? Where do I sign? Where's the dotted line? Last and finally, number six, the currency of the kingdom is What? What is it? If we're going to lay up treasure in heaven, what's that look like? What's the currency of the kingdom? I like this statement from, from Matthew Henry. It says, The most beautiful body will soon be worm's meat. The most beautiful building or home or church will soon be a ruinous heap. Should we set our eyes upon that which is so soon lost and look upon that with such admiration, which before long we shall certainly look upon with so much contempt. As Jesus said, Seek ye not all these things, there will not be left one stone upon another. That's Matthew 25, a couple chapters later. Satan is the prince of this world. He has all kinds of authority and influence. And Satan has chosen what to place value upon. And in his sway, in his market, he puts much appeal upon Hollywood, upon fame, upon money, upon pleasure, upon lust, upon comfort, upon power, upon ease, upon pride, upon sports, upon home improvements or hobbies, etc. When King Jesus rules, the atmosphere will be considerably different. What runs the kingdom will not be the same currency. Those rich in this world's goods and not rich Toward God will find themselves holding old currency that has no purchase power in the millennial kingdom and on into eternity. I have here some bills. Bear with me. We'll be done in just a minute. These are bills that go back to the Civil War era. Between churches, we had an opportunity with the family to go through Gettysburg last fall, I guess it was, or summer. And uh, while we were there, I, I learned something. You know, I not studied or learned much about graybacks, but graybacks were given, and, and I'm, I'm going to put these on our display table. You can look at them up close. And the promise was that uh, something like six months after the South wins the war, the Civil War, these will be redeemed in full value. And so you would work as a soldier, and you'd get paid in the South with graybacks. And, and you would, some men had accumulated millions of dollars. Now, that was a lot back then in these graybacks. And, and they were investing in their country in the South. We aren't talking about who should have won or any of that, okay? 
This is discussion about the graybacks. And so uh, as they went on with these graybacks, uh, th the war started not going good for the South. And uh, what ended up happening is that, that you could tell something was up when they quit printing on the back side. How are they going to redeem my bills if they don't have the ink to print on the back side of the bills? That should have been a clue things weren't going good. And what ended up happening is the people who had invested in the currency of the South, when the war ended, it was worth nothing. It was like Russia a few years back when you had to have a wheelbarrow of rubles to buy groceries. And, you know, to invest in those, there were men who had millions of dollars invested in those graybacks that became utterly useless. But let's pretend for a moment that these graybacks are American dollars going into the eternal kingdom. The American dollar, I'm here to tell you, is not worth much in heaven. God's not impressed with the world currency everyone mostly wants to trade in. And I don't want to get to heaven and find out that all my life's effort was invested in the currency of the South, and it's all graybacks. Do you? If we're honest with ourselves, if we're thinking about this seriously, insanely, nobody in his right mind who's a Christian who has this Bible in front of them that tells about eternity would want to that kind of investment. And yet, as we go into our lives, so oftentimes we get focused on living for here and now, and we forget that the last will be first. So what is the currency of the kingdom? It's not American dollars. Okay? You don't make couches out of American dollars, by the way, to sit on. People get American dollars because they want comfort and ease. That's the point. They're not, it's not the bucks they're worried about. It's the comfort and ease they buy with the bucks. And so I asked myself, what, what is the currency of heaven? Well, let's just start by turning this whole world upside down, like Jesus did, and saying, okay, what makes heaven tick? On earth, what makes it tick is politics. Who, who's at the top of the heap? Who's climbed the work ladder? Who's the CEO? Who's the chief executive officer? Who's, who's the head of the church? Who's the head of the organization? And I know we got men heads of organizations who this isn't their mentality, but in a lot of the world, that's what it is. It's climbing the ranks. It's being served. The more people who serve me, the more people who bow at my feet, the more people, the more secret service that lines up around me, then the more I have attained. That is sadly the mentality of, of many of us, even as Christians. And, and we, we may think we're big stuff in the whole scheme of things. We probably aren't. But we may think, you know, I have a whole group of people who are there at my beck and call who love me. Well, so what? That's not going to get much at the Bema seat of Christ. You know what Jesus said? The bottom servants will be on the top. I've met some very godly church janitors. And I've met some pastors who are godly, but I've also met a lot of pastors along the way over the years, not churches we tried to get into, but pastors who are in it for whatever, the prestige, people listening to them, whatever. And I'm expecting to see a whole lot of janitors ahead of a whole lot of pastors at the Bema Seat of Christ. Jesus took the person at the end of the table and moved him up to the seat beside him, not John and James. That was the person who sat in a place of honor. So if you want to lay up treasure in heaven, then take this stuff and trade it for some way to serve. 
Maybe that means instead of going out and being rich doing your trade, maybe that means you do it 10 hours a week and come to pastor and say, what can I do with the other 35? Maybe that means you give your money. That could be. Maybe that means you reject this stuff altogether to get yourself up on the altar. But however God's speaking to you, if you're going to live for eternity, the goal is to find how many people you can serve. That's what makes greatness in God's kingdom. That is the currency that drives heaven. Have you ever been interested to see how Jesus came to earth? How he walked for three and a half years as a humble carpenter, not even beginning his ministry till 30, not even having a place to lay his head. Born in a manger. In fact, it says that he made himself of no reputation. And he took upon himself what? The form of a king? The form of a prince? Is that how he came the first time to be known? He came to seek and to save the lost. He took upon himself the form of a doulos. Now, do you know what a doulos, the Greek word for slave, do you know what that really is? You know, there's, there's been videos and things trying to illustrate this, but an old Roman slave ship where the slaves would drive the ship, Okay, and this is the word used for deacon, too, by the way, deep. Okay, so driving that ship and those slaves driving that ship, you know, the upper floor of slaves and the lower floor, the doulas or the deeks are the lower floor. Everybody who had to use the bathroom went and went through the floor and dripped on them. Now, we have deacons who want to be in charge of a whole bunch of things today, not deacons who want to be dripped on. But that's what the servant is. It's that person who's at the oars, who's chained to the oars, because they're headed for heaven, and they know that the best way to get currency in heaven is to be a doulos now. That means they're a doulos to their wife. That means they're a doulos to their kids. They're not a dictator at home. They're a loving shepherd leader, not a cowboy leading a herd and driving them. They're a person who is serving at church, who looks to do more instead of less, looks for things that need to be done, and says, maybe I could do that. Could I? Something needs clean, something needs vacuum, somebody needs visited, somebody at the hospital needs something, maybe a lady with a broken leg needs to go to the doctor, maybe that's something I could do. Because the goal, if you want to lay up heaven's currency, is not to get people serving you, but to get how many people you can serve. And the greatest heroes of faith that I've observed on this earth, I have found, are serving huge numbers of people. Because he who's faithful in little, God gives more. He's faithful in that, God gives more. Faithful in that, God gives more. He took from the man who had one city and didn't invest his talent and gave it to the man who had five or ten cities and said, Be thou ruler over ten. That is how we lay out treasures in heaven. In our picture here, Daniel, if you shut the door and turn off the light next time, you can point to it. In our picture here, we're trying to meet your way to illustrate. There's a story behind this picture, and I want to close it. This is a picture of a village in Florida. A number of years ago, Tom even originally went through this village. On this hike, checking out an airstrip 18 miles in two days, we went through this village. And he's going to put a picture up here on the screen, if you go ahead and put that up there. There's a picture of what this looks like with the mud hut and so on, and that's what we're attempting to draw the picture of this village here. And uh, Tom Needham came in one day, and he was hiking down past this area with mud hut after mud hut all around up. As you see in our picture here, they always gather around some water where they can get some sustenance and they can have some water to live off of. And, 
And Tom Needham was tired, he was hot. But you know, Tom Needham was a farmer. Like her pastor's a farmer. And, and in his case, God didn't call him to plant church. God called him to leave his farm. Because God works differently in his life. The rich young ruler, God told him to sell it off. And they not be what God tells you. God isn't communist. God isn't, he's going to say, he's going to lead you in the path he has for you, one step at a time, one line at a time. And Tom Needham went over on a pepper project as an unsaved man to help them grow cattle to eat better in Cameroon. I used to feel a bit about yourself kind of person. Good farmer, then help some good people with some of his extra resources. But the only thing is, when he got over there, he wanted some white man companionship. And it so happened, there was one missionary, I don't know why somebody in America couldn't have led down to the Lord, but there was a missionary over there who was white. And he started working on praying for Brother Needham. And uh, Brother Needham got saved in Cameroon. Then he comes back to his farm in Iowa, feeling very guilty. If I didn't make you feel a need for Cameroon by talking about only kidnapped missionaries, then I don't know where your heart is, because that's how big the needs are around our world. And that's the heart he came back with, feeling, Lord, should I go? And you know, he got his Bible training like some first generations to knock out in a matter of short years, big time fast. And he, he got to memorize and learn the word of God and admire how much the word of God that we share. Weeks, Knowing in 15 years now, I read most of his prayers. And he told me as we went through this village and we sat down, he said, Charles, do you see that mud hut? Do you see that, that pile beside you? He said to me, he said, a number of years ago when I got to Cameroon, he said, the hardest day of my life was when I put a for sale sign in my farm in Iowa and watched things go for a dime and a dollar in the auction block. And he said, I knew God had called me. And I knew there was opportunity to like church up in heaven. He says, I get to Cameroon. And you know people are people anywhere in the world. People don't just come up and say, I love you as a missionary. Thank you so much for coming and telling me I would be to get God and say, no, that just doesn't happen. And, uh, but in Cameroon, there are people who say, what must I do to say? And in America, there are people who say that. And so, Brother Liam, he struggled this thing through, what God was calling him to do. And, and uh, and he got to Cameroon there with his young family. He's in the same village going through here. He said, Charles, you see that pile of mud? He's like, there used to be a mud hut there, just like the one in the eye. And he's like, I came through here a number of years ago, came in on my airplane, he was a crop duster. It was kind of a hobby, so to speak, to dust his crops as a farmer. And, uh, and he, he'd given that up, but then the Lord gave him back a plane, expensive plane to be able to use. It was put together by churches for him. And he said, well, I'm happy faithful to use this still on the farm. And he came down and he was checking out these acquired villages, trying to share Christ with you. And he was tired all night. A big toenail fell off that warehouse, okay? It's <laughs> a lot of work hiking through that area, uh, trudging through streams and lakes and water and mud. And, uh, it's like interesting, put it that way. And so he's tired, and I don't know what that could be. And he's quite a few years older than me. And he, and he said, I got to this village, and this old lady, she invited me to come into her mud hut. And you see the smoke whisking up out. But that's not the favorite place for an American to go. In the middle of a mud hut with a smoky fire where everything smells like cigars. That's about as bad as it is. And so it's not your idea of taking a break and a rest. He goes in, he sits down, never talking to his God, but God, food was going to show up. And, uh, and this woman, he noticed, he said, Charles, you got hanging around her neck this, this gaudy necklace with all these, you know, we would think of a rabbit's foot, but it's a lot worse than that. It's like satanic stuff. 
to ward off evil spirits. And her dependence and her faith was in that necklace. Like so many of the 50% of Cameroon still has their ancestral worship. And, and she's trusting that. And, and Brother Needham realized, he's like, what is it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The reason I'm here is to share Jesus. That's why I gave him to sit and eat pineapples or something, okay? And so he, he opens his mouth and he talks to this lady and he says, look, he shares with her Jesus' love and how Jesus is greater and greater is he that's in you that's in the world. And, and you know, those people live in fear. They're worried about their favorite fifth wife when the owl shows up and the evil spirits at hand, about him taking their favorite wife's life. It sounds almost laughable, but it's very real. The kind of stuff that goes on in some of these cultures where for generations they have turned themselves over, not just like somebody in America with Wicca where we're starting to see it, but for generations their mother's mother's mother were involved in the occult and were worshiping and doing things to spirits. That's where rock music originated, by the way, is in their seances. And even Elvis Presley will tell you he got it from there. And so he's talking to this woman. She's got her necklace. She's got all this baggage. I'm trying to describe to you. And she, her face lights up as she realizes what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for her and how it can be her own. And as she calls out on the Lord and prays, she takes off this necklace that represented all protection she had and all her dependence. And she burned those leather trinkets and stones in the fire in the middle of the hut. And Brother Needham, he said, you know what, Charles? That leather smelling to the human nose smelled horrible. But he said, I knew in heaven the angels were rejoicing. Moreover, one that turned to the Lord and repented the 99 just men that needed no repentance. And he said, Charles, if she would have been the only one that got saved, and there's been many more, but it would have been worth selling my farm because I traded that currency for an eternal life that's now in heaven that has the saving power of the redemptive covering, passing over blood of Jesus, covering and protecting. And that woman now, he said, look, Charles, you see a mud hut there. She was up in years. She's died. All that's left in the earth is her meager mud hut. It could be a brick house. It could be a fancy car. It doesn't matter. But it's gone. And now he said, you know, Charles, you can go ahead and turn the picture off up there. I want to show the picture here in the blacklight now. He said, Charles, you know, she's not walking on mud streets anymore. She's walking in heaven on streets of gold where the heavenly city is. Eye hasn't seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I love the next verse, though, where it says, but... The Holy Spirit can open up those things and reveal them. And I trust and pray tonight that the Holy Spirit would touch your life and my life and help us to see where it is that he would touch his finger. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ will often come into a life and we'll hide something in the back room. And he'll go right through that part of our life and he'll knock on the door and we'll hide it in the closet before we let him in. And then he'll go right back to that closet where all our hopes and dreams and plans are bundled up. And he'll say, can I get in that room? And that's the way it might be with each of us tonight. There might be something you're holding back from God. I want to have all heads bowed and eyes closed. And as I pray, I just ask you to pray in your own heart and say, Lord Jesus, what would you have me to do? I know living for eternity is worth it. I know I need to count the cost 
I know I need to leave the choice of the rewards up to you. I know you're more concerned about how I finished than when I began. And I know the currency of the kingdom is not about how many people serve me, but how many people I serve. Who, God, more can I serve? <coughs> Heavenly Father, as we gather together here today with you in our presence, Lord, I fear that we see you very darkly through a glass and we need to see you more. Lord, we need, like Moses did, a new revelation of your glory. We'll never see it all. And Lord, I think every one of us here as believers needs to see a new uncovering of your glory, the next level. Lord, we need you to help us not to see so darkly, but through your Holy Spirit to help us catch a little bit of a glimpse of the heavenly city where the streets are gold and the gates are made of pearls and Jesus sits on the throne with hands that have been pierced. Lord, who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, that at the name of Jesus, one day every knee shall bow. And Lord, I want to bow the knee, having done through your grace what I could. I don't want to end up with a handful of graybacks. Lord, I want, to, I want to lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break through and steal. I understand, Lord, that where my treasure is, my heart is. We were, came into this world naked and we shall go out naked. The love of money and shiny things is the root of all evil. Lord, I pray you'd touch my life, my children's lives. Lord, I don't want them to see a hypocrite in the Father. I want them to see a, a man who wants them to excel and surpass the servant opportunities you've given me to serve you even more. Lord, I know there's many other fathers and men in this room today whose hearts you have touched in answer to prayer. Lord, to have a pastor here who's burdened to see, as I know all pastors are, men in the church who step up to lead their homes in the way of righteousness with a heartthrob for the things that count in eternity. And Lord, I pray you'd make your will very clear to each of us tonight that not a man here would not see from you in your glory tonight. Lord, we make ourselves vulnerable before you tonight and ask you to light our path. Maybe it's just one step at a time, a lamp to our feet. But Lord, we just pray that you would help us to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so we can glorify you more. Lord, help us to forget those things which are behind, and to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. May you be glorified through it all, Lord. We know it's only by your empowerment and your grace, and we look forward to the day in heaven when we can cast our crowns and those things done in our bodies according to our works and cast them all before your throne and tell you, Lord, how you're worthy to receive all the glory and all the honor and all the power and all the thanksgiving and to thank you, Lord, for creating us for your pleasure. So, Lord, I pray we'd start living that way more now. Help me, help my family, help each father, help each family here today to be able to grow in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. It is very important to all of us at Help for Wounded Spirits that you know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
The Bible is very clear with a simple salvation message. You can know today. First, you're a sinner, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Second, there's a price on sin, for the wages of sin is death. Third, Jesus paid that price for you. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lastly, you must speak it with your mouth, and believe it with your heart, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made known unto salvation. Simply ask the Lord to save you in Jesus' name while believing in your heart, and he will. Please contact us if we can help you in any way. God bless you. Doug and Stephanie, thank you for listening today. We hope this podcast has been a blessing in your life. For helpful resources, more information, or to donate to help this vital ministry, visit us at WoundedSpirits.com.